Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Hello, friends. It's time. It's time for a brand new episode of Last Drinks Podcast. Um, what do I have? What are my updates? Nothing really other than to say that things, things in my world are good. Just from a bit of personal feedback, I'm in a really, um, I'm in a really good place. One of the reasons that I'm in a really good place is I have been seeing a therapist, uh, and I highly recommend it. I actually, um, towards the end of last year, had some really hectic stuff go on. So my father passed away um, twelve months to the day, pretty much, uh, to today, which is was really sad, and. Uh, I lost one of my best friends to a stage four cancer battle in November at the end of last year. And so I was carrying some really hardcore grief and I felt like I had to kind of almost like stuff it right down because I had a book deadline due and, you know, my job is busy and I've got a toddler and stepkids and I just didn't feel like I actually had the capacity or the space to allow myself the time I needed to grieve and to grieve well. And so knowing all of those things and, and knowing myself, I kind of said, okay, once this book deadline is done for that first um, part of my book process, I'm going to book in and see a psychologist. And so since... Uh, Early February, I have been seeing a wonderful psychologist and I ha it has just been so beneficial. I actually went to my GP. I got a mental health plan. I uh, had to fill out a form and explain some of my feelings and she looked at me after I kind of wrote down what I'd been through and how I was feeling and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, um, I think I'm okay enough but I would love to be able to feel joy again. And that was the intention that I set when I went to my therapist. I said, I'm really sad. I've had some really hectic grief. I don't know where to put it or how to move through it. I need some help. Um, and I would like to feel happiness again. And I've got to say, a couple of months in, after seeing her very, very regularly and committing to that, I do actually feel like I've stumbled across a bit of happiness again. And I've done all of this, obviously, 100% sober because I don't lean on alcohol as a coping tool in my life. And I guess the reason why I wanted to share this just at the beginning of this um, podcast is because my guest today uh, is Mel Watkins, who's not my personal therapist, but she is a addiction therapist. And she helps people who are trapped, who are stuck and who are wondering how they can live life without booze. She has lived experience um, of being an addict herself 
And her story, you know, she shares it so boldly and so openly on the podcast today. And I'm really hoping that um, this podcast conversation will, uh, first of all, encourage people to, to discover their best and sober selves or to tap into the sober curiosity that might be being signposted for them, but also to go and talk to someone if you need to and to understand that there are therapists, there are mental health plans, uh, there are counsellors and there are people um, that you can go and talk to in a safe space without judgment and without shame to go, hey, I'm, I'm stuck. Things in my world are tricky right now and I just need a little bit of help and um, that person as part of their role in your life for that season will hold space for you. And, and that when you have a room with somebody who is holding space for you, it's really amazing and really magical how much work you can get done on figuring yourself out. So this is my therapy encouragement episode and I'm truly grateful to Mel for being um, just so vulnerable and open about her story and, and also just I'm so um, grateful to her for the wonderful work that she does in helping people gain the confidence that they need to be themselves and to do it sober. So please enjoy this podcast episode. And if you are inspired to talk to a therapist, in the show notes are uh, a couple of places that you can go to make that, that initial conversation happen for you. So enjoy Last Drinks with Mel Watkins. My guest this week on the podcast is Mel Watkins. So we're going to kick it off with my very favorite question to ask everybody, Mel. Can you tell me about your last drink? Yes, I can definitely tell you about my last drink. It was a bottle of Jack Daniels and some Dexies. So wow. yeah, that was what about, a combo. I know. Uh, it was about a year ago and yeah. I wouldn't say, I, I don't really like to call it as my last drink because it wasn't, it was my last drink, but it also I've had a couple of slip ups in my recovery. So okay. my, it was a drink that I really didn't want to have. That's so interesting. So had you planned to become sober after this drinking event? No. So I became sober just before COVID. Okay. So I became sober just before COVID and that was the first time where I was like, I want to be sober. I don't want to take breaks. I don't want to do um, the sober curious thing. I want to be sober and I want it to be a lifestyle. And I changed my whole life so I could become a lifestyle. I quit my job, which was taking clients out and partying. Uh, I went back to uni. Um, I removed a lot of friends from my friendship groups that I knew that would be triggering. I saw a mm -hmm. therapist. I did all the work to become sober and loved it. My first year of sobriety was amazing. Uh, but I did have a slip up and nice. it, yeah, it wasn't fun. It was really not fun. Before we get to the slip up, because I think it's so important to talk about that mm -hmm. because you can frame a slip up as a fail and that can really send you so far from your sober self. Um, and you can pick up where you left off or you can frame it as a slip up and use it as a stepping stone and learn what triggered you, you know, and how to maybe navigate that situation without slipping up in the future. But before we get to the slip up, 
I want to talk to you, Mel, about what your relationship with, with alcohol was like leading up to that moment where you're like, I'm going sober, I'm quitting my job, I'm ditching some mates. Um, you know, you did the big, big life overhaul thing, which can, I think for a lot of people be really overwhelming to think about changing everything all at once is full on. So what was your drinking, I guess, how had it habituated in your life? Did you drink every day? It seems like it was very much a part of the job that you were doing to go out and drink? Was that sort of like, give me, talk me through a normal week? Yeah. So I've had different stages with my drinking. And this is what I talk about a lot is that there were times in my life where I used it just as a social uh, social tool. You know, I use it to get drunk with clients or with friends and it was fun. I'd do it on the weekends. Then it would slowly creep into the weekdays. But when my life has turned bad and life throws you so much crap like when it's Mm -hmm. turned you know not the way I wanted it and I've had some challenges then I found myself lying about going to the pub you know drinking by myself at the bar or drinking at home every day or using drugs by myself and not in a social situation and that's Mm -hmm. where it's really tricky with alcohol you know there have been parts in my in my life where relationship has just my relationship with alcohol has just been around socializing but there's also Mm. been stages in my life where I've used it as a coping mechanism for unhealthy um for uncomfortable emotions and that's when I've found myself drinking at home and doing drugs drugs and alcohol came hand in hand for me yeah and so it's so with those big tricky and you're right life throws you so many curveballs and one thing I say to people a lot is like choosing sobriety is such a great choice. It doesn't mean life isn't going to be hard. It doesn't stop curveballs coming at you left, right and center. But what sobriety gives you is a whole range of better tools to, as you say, cope or manage or deal with those curveballs that come through. So did you start, because I started drinking as a teenager and it was just like, Rite of passage, party here, you know, like uh, JDs and Cokes and whatever. Was that sort of how your introduction to alcohol? So it was, it was very normal in where I grew up that as a 15, 16 year old, you would go to a party every few weekends time, get a little bit loose. Nothing super crazy happened. Maybe somebody got a bit paralytic and ended up in an ambulance. Okay. You know what I mean? That seemed really normal. Was it similar for you? Yeah, definitely. I grew up in Hobart, so there wasn't much else to do than party and get wasted. So yeah, drinking started off very young. I didn't have parents that drank, so I um, was proactive with that, with that finding the alcohol. Uh, mm. But um, yeah, definitely used it as a social tool and to party, but I also used it as an escape when I was younger. I was diagnosed with bipolar at think it was about 15 and oh, no wow. that's a that's young to get a really big diagnosis for oh, mental and health and I had no idea what it was and no there's no you know anxiety wasn't a thing there like depression wasn't mm. really a thing so I never knew what it was I just got put on medication and I was just you know using alcohol as well to escape whatever emotions I was feeling so I've used it as an escape for a while but it was also hidden by using it as a party tool as well Wow. So a diagnosis, like that's a, um, that's a really big diagnosis to wrap your head around as an adult, I could imagine. But as a teenager, was it explained to you what bipolar disorder is and 
and are you a one or a two? I've done a little bit of psychology study, so I know a little bit about the DSM and and these diagnoses, and they're very loaded um, because there's a there's a really um, specific set of symptoms that you must present with in order to have a formal diagnosis for for bipolar disorder. Were you mm. was that explained to you? No, no, there was not. I wouldn't have even known what bipolar one and bipolar two was back then. It was just this is what you've got, and here's your medication. Um, that's it. Yeah. So it, I had no idea. Like I was on and off with that medication as well. I wasn't taking it properly, and I was drinking so and taking drugs. So you don't know what's what was wow. what was what with that. Uh, so yeah, I um, yeah, I didn't know what yeah. I had. I just knew that. I felt like there was something wrong with me. Um, really? Yeah, because I just would cry all the time or I was really happy or I was crying or happy. Uh, and then alcohol gave me relief from that. You know, it helped me make, it made me feel good. And back then when you're young and you're drinking, it does make you feel good. Yeah. Like it's new. It's, it's You haven't been drinking it for a long time. So it is giving you a good amount of dopamine. Well, and this is the thing, right? And I think it's really important to understand what alcohol does to our brain chemistry, essentially, because that's the thing that's secreting those hormones in our body, which is giving us the feelings. So when people say like, I drink to escape or, you know, I drink because, and this was definitely one of the big reasons I drank in my sort of, you know, mid to late twenties was um, my life is really big and stressful and alcohol helps me feel relieved from that. So I get a sense of relief or that sense of escapism, like we don't have to deal with this. We can park it on the bench over there, go out and have a good time, you know, and and all will be well. But what alcohol is doing is it's completely messing with your brain chemistry and it's secreting and releasing all of these hormones almost um, through the synthetically. So then you've got this serotonin chill. So you have a couple of wines and you're like, ah, oh, that's the feeling. Like, but then you have a few more wines and you're like, woo, let's go dance on some tables. That's the dopamine. And what you're then doing is then the alcohol is controlling the way things are getting secreted in your brain, which then informs your emotions, which informs your behavior. And so then we get on this whole thing where we can't actually manage our lives without alcohol, but it's a really, really slow burn. Did you find that it crept in yeah. steadily but slowly over time for you? Yeah, and when you're younger, there aren't any consequences because you don't have, well, I didn't have those hangovers. Uh, mm, life was controllable because I didn't have a lot of responsibilities when I'm, you know, a teenager. So my brain, your brain re remembers that, you know, it romanticizes mm. this time when you did drink and there weren't any consequences of it. But as I grew older, I had more responsibilities. My mental health was getting impacted. You know, it, it wasn't okay to just be crying all day or laying in bed because mm. I had to earn my own money. I had to live by myself. That so there was all these things that were coming into play of being an adult. And I was really struggled with that. That's a great point that I hadn't really tapped into that when you're younger, there, I mean, there are consequences, but they're not as like hectic unless something really bad happens. So, you know, if you have an incident or if there's an injury or because your, your riskiness in behavior increases with more alcohol, but if you can just, you know, get away with it, 
you're right. The hangovers aren't so terrible. Or you can stay in bed till 11 because who cares? Like your shift at Supre doesn't start until 1 p.m., right? Yeah. So I totally hear what you're saying. And then as you, yeah, then you're all of a sudden you're like 19, 20 and you've got to earn a living and pay a bit of rent or board, you know, depending on your circumstances. And then it is a bit trickier. And so you either rein it in or you just figure out how to get by. Yeah. And you know what you were saying about consequences there there are like there was a lot of shit I shouldn't have done when I was younger but I also could get away with it you know there was Mm. and I didn't really blame it on substances it was just me being young you know making mistakes so there was a lot that I was able to get away with that you're not really able to get away with as you get older 100% until it all bites you in the ass yeah, which, which is why, which I, which is why I moved states to Melbourne because it was all biting me in the ass. So the <laughs> escapism thing is real for you, so real that you moved to Melbourne. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, so for, can you just elaborate a little bit too on the industry that you worked in and what that was like? So, because I really felt like media, the industry, not that I blame it for my dependency at all, but it was re- it was a really easy thing for me to kind of. Um, sweep under the rug my dependence on alcohol because it was everywhere and part of what I did. Yeah, so I started off in hospitality, which is a great industry to get a drinking problem. Um, you work <laughs> work all day and then I remember saying, oh, I finish at 10, so I might as well get wasted for the rest of the night and then just go back to work the next day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. what an intro. Yeah, exactly. So hospitality. And then I moved into events. So my dream was to have a job where I could take clients out and you'd know this industry, um, work in sales, take clients out and be able to drink on the job and go to big events like Melbourne Cup and do all those things. And that's the job that I was in. And whilst it wasn't, it was a very high paced job, very stressful events is, is not glamorous. It's very full on. But with Mm. that, there is that relief, what you're talking about, from you with alcohol and that camaraderie with other people when you've had a big week and then you can all get drunk together or when you take clients out we all work in a fast-paced industry so being able to drink together brought us together and but it it was always a big night and then get back to work the next day and then start again like it was very normal to be doing drugs and drinking at work yeah I hear you and it's interesting because when like thinking back I used when, you know, you're in a, your late teens and everyone's on you about like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And you're like, oh, you know, yeah. like survive the weekend? I don't know. Um, but I remember thinking, oh, there's, there's two types of people in the world. There's people that pay to go to events and there's people who are paid to go to events. And I want to be a part of the group that get paid to go to all the cool shit. I want to get paid to go to music festivals, travel around the world. And so I manifested my dream job on MTV wholeheartedly, absolutely. And a little bit of that was maybe being a slight tight ass where I was like, I don't want to go to the bar and like spend hundreds of dollars on booze. I want to be at the bar where everyone's like, here, have another drink. And it, that what really was a very, very big part of my, um, or all of my 20s in radio and in television. It was very much... We're at all these events. No one is paying for anything. We are being paid and the currency is alcohol and that is why we are all here. Yeah, yeah. No, that is exactly why I wanted to work into events as well. I can resonate with that. 
And But for me to get through the big days of drinking, I had to take drugs. How am I supposed to entertain and be wasted all day? <laughs> um, it's just it was how did really you hard. Even, how so did I, you even do that though? Like so you just – and I, I've never done drugs, so I don't really, I've been around drugs as in, I've seen a lot of people do a lot of drugs, but I've never taken them myself. So I don't know what that feels like, but, um, I remember somebody explaining it to me like that they would get really drunk and then have a line of cocaine to kind of sober up and like get through the rest of the night and not be hectically messy. Yeah, exactly why I use, which is funny, right? Because it's I'm drinking to get drunk, but then I'm taking the drugs to get sober. So I'm trying to get back to where I started if yeah. I never drank. That but, messes with my brain a bit, but yes. Yeah, it was. And to be honest, alcohol didn't really agree with me very well. I would go bright red. I would be wasted after one glass. So I really? needed the drugs to keep me going. And then the more drugs I had, the more alcohol I'd drink. And then they would just feed into each other. So where, so at what point, like what, was there uh, an incident or like what was your come to Jesus moment where you were like, man, I've got to stop this. I've got to, this, this isn't working for me anymore. Like at some point that uh, hamster wheel of addiction is going to ruin a person, right? And so was there, I don't like to say a rock bottom moment because for me, it's more of like a spectrum of things that can get messed up. <laughs> and at some point along the spectrum of things going wrong, you go, okay, I maybe need to rein this in or I, I, I there's something that happens at some point for people where they go, I think enough is enough and I want to maybe get a little bit sober or not be as, as wasted as I have been. So what was that? Was there a moment for you? There should have been a lot of moments. Let me just put that out there. I had have had a lot of rock bottoms because of alcohol and drugs. But I suppose there was one there was one moment that really made me think I was I'd got home another time from being out. I'd never make it through the front door. I would be out all night with clients and my now husband, but boyfriend back then would find me passed out in the garden because I'd never make it through the door. And I remember wow. him picking me up and we'd been together for reckon about five years by then and I was like when is he going to propose and I remember having this conversation with him and I was like when are we going to get married is that even on the cards and he's just like I'm your carer I, I don't think I can I, I just don't know what's the future for us because at the moment I am your carer whoa and I think I'm killing it right I'm like doing really well in my job but that's all I was doing. I just, you know, really identified with my work. Oh, that is so profound. Mm. Because what, because alcohol and I'm guessing the drugs as well completely screw up your perception of reality. You live in an augmented reality when you are on a bender constantly and coming off that bender and going back on. And so you, like you just said it, and it's so true, you wholeheartedly were like, I am kicking life in the dick. I am so good at my job. I'm slaying it. And he is like, I'm pretty much your home nurse because you are not functioning as a human properly. Yeah. That is mind-blowing. And so was that a tough conversation? Yeah, well, I went into defence. Like I, I, the first act of war. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm leaving, but like, I'm out. Like, this is my decision. So you've gone from proposal to like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, 
because you're in denial as well. Yeah. It's still, I still hadn't really realized that it was substances, but I suppose I started listening to some podcasts and there wasn't much out there back then. I think I listened to James Schwanwick and about. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And just about him as a successful person and about giving up alcohol for you know creating a business and stuff so that was a really good way of introducing it to me because it was wasn't it was seeing it as something that I could use the tool to be better in my career Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's when I started looking at it so and you know that was maybe I'd do one week sober it wasn't going into becoming fully blown sober I would have never thought that I would become sober never Uh, but it, it did introduce what sobriety could be like for a couple of weeks or you know just start to take breaks so I think I reduced my benders from maybe from four weekends to three weekends. <laughs> it was a very yeah. slow process, but Baby it was idea in my head. Yeah, but that's okay. Like there's no, you don't just have to quit drinking and and that's that. Like everyone, this is why I love these conversations because everyone's sobriety story is so different. So did your boyfriend at the time ever give you an ultimatum did he ever say I need you to get sober or other than that sort of I guess realization that you had that he had become your carer did he ever sort of bring it up with you or or no I sobriety wasn't as talked about back then so Mm. he more blamed it on me it wasn't that I had to get sober it was more I had to control my booze right Mm -hmm. so it wasn't yeah, it, was, it wasn't until I got sober and I was sober for a year did he realise that she should never drink again because she's yeah. just so much better sober and our yes. life is so much easier. So he never really gave me an ultimatum. It's more like you've got to pull your shit together, not yeah. stop yeah, drinking. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, so then you do you take your breaks, you have your couple of breaks here, and then at some point you've gone, okay, well, the breaks are working the drinking bit's not so like line in the sand, let's really give this a go? Like was that sort of, I guess, the crossroads that you arrived at with your relationship with alcohol? Uh, yeah, so I did that for a while. and But then, you know, when I'd have the benders, I would still manage to screw up shit. Like I was still still doing stuff that I wouldn't do if I was sober. And mm. then even like I was proud of myself because I was – dealing drugs on the side for a bit while I was sober and I was like oh look at I can do this and not I'm even killing want the drugs. it again yeah <laughs> like the weird things you trick yourself uh <laughs> so I wasn't ready to leave that lifestyle you know like it was right. just always um little changes and it wasn't until COVID hit that I found myself I just moved to Sydney and this was going to be a change of lifestyle and I then realized the only number I had in my phone was a drug dealer and I was just doing drugs every weekend events had weren't happening so I didn't really have any motivation to keep going to even be sober at all Mm. so I was like this is just pulling me into this vortex of like my mental health is fucked I'm don't have any motivation to get out of bed and all I want to do is drink and take drugs like there was no times that I had to be sober really so mm. I then said to myself like I've got to make a decision I either become sober or I just keep going the way I will and I'll probably die so and lose everything that I have um and I didn't yeah so I, I did it I just did everything in my power to get obsessed with sobriety and I started my Instagram it's on me it's booze I'm like I want to make sober friends Love so it. then that's how that started 
and went back to uni to study because I wanted to work in the mental health space, but I didn't really know what that looked like yet. So I went back to study my postgrad in counselling and psychotherapy. And that's, I just made these huge changes, but it took a while to get there, but I had to make it because otherwise I would, I wasn't strong enough to just go back into the lifestyle that I already had and stay Mm. sober. That's so huge that you, you just did it. Like you did it. Mm. That's really, really amazing to go from such a hectic, you know, intertwining of drugs and booze to, I know it took a while, but like you can take full credit for your sobriety, which is, that's so cool. And so when, when did you start? Okay. Do you know around the time? So when you had stopped taking drugs and stopped drinking, was there a moment that you can pinpoint where you were like, huh, I think this is working for me. I feel better or I look better or that I somehow have a bit more clarity or my sleep, like where you noticed an improvement in your lifestyle in any area of note? Yeah. In that first year, heaps of stuff changed for me. Um, you know, I felt like I looked better. I had more confidence. My mental health started getting better. Uh, there was heaps of amazing changes until I hit the one year. And so, yeah, so this is the slip up. Yes, I had a slip. I've had a couple of slip ups, but the, when I hit one year, I. Did you celebrate by having a drink? No, I, um, stayed sober a couple of months after and then I slipped up at a party. And so what happened? Can you, do you sort of, can you pinpoint what happened? Did you, because I think for some people with the slip up, they're like, Hey, I've been sober for a year and a bit. Like I'm cool to have a drink. And and so what happens is your brain forgets the last year and a bit that you've been sober and that alcohol activates the, the neural pathway. So you go straight back to where you were when you have that drink because your brain all your brain does is process shit from the past, really. It's like it, it can only it only knows what it already knows. So even though you had all that time in sobriety, you have that drink and all of a sudden your brain's like, well, we're back kind of thing. Did it feel like that? Yeah, it, I suppose because you have this, I'm going to do one year, I'm going to do one year. And as, at the same time, I knew that I needed to be sober to do what I was doing. I was, you know, trying to do events for It's Not Me, It's Booze. Um, and I was always just shit. sober events, yeah? Like yeah, yeah, sober events. That's um, so cool too that, you, that you're putting on. I, lo- I love it too how like you really embrace sobriety to the point where you're like, I'm going to do events for sobriety and for sober people and, and create the community that I need to find in sobriety with like-minded individuals. I think that's really commendable. Oh, thank you. It started off, I just needed sober friends, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So go create a whole community of them. I love that. (laughs) Um, And I think the goal, yeah, it's like you said, the goal was done. And then I, we'd just come out of the COVID lockdown. And I think when you become sober, because I'd made so much change, there was so much excitement and so much new stuff happening my happening in my life and yes we were in lockdown but it also gave me the chance to build what I was building Mm. and start this new life and then I got complacent I think after the year life Mm. got a bit boring again and then we came out of lockdown I had anxiety with that because then we had to adjust to 
being out and I probably got cocky in my sobriety, to be honest. I'm like, and then I went to this party and I knew, I knew that there was a part of me that was going to drink. Um, Mm. And even the person I went to, like, went with, that person wouldn't have stopped me, kept me accountable for yeah. drinking. Not that it's her fault at all. No, I know what you're saying. It's these seemingly irrelevant decisions that you make mm-hmm. that while they're not directly related to your drinking, they are. They're the they're little so loaded. Yeah. 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 Um, and I stopped doing like the stuff that makes you feel good because mm. oh, it was just a weird time of year. But yeah, it happened. And I then had to announce it to my community. Um, I think that kind of did you get any did you get any clap back or were people really supportive? And what was the response when you said, hey, you know, I've slipped up and I'm going to try and fix this for myself? Yeah, everyone was really supportive. I think a few people had relapsed that, a few people in the community relapsed that weekend because of coming out of the COVID lockdown. Yeah. Um, but everyone was supportive and, you know, you always get trolls, uh, yeah. especially yeah. on TikTok. Uh, but it is all I can be is honest in this journey. That's all mm-hmm. I can be. And whether people like that or not, that that that's yeah. my journey. And so what, um, do you have any sort of tools in place now to, I guess, prevent you from having another slip up? Like do what sort of did you learn out of that experience that you sort of take forward with you? My biggest learning from my last slip up is, and this is, you know, have this conversation with one of the other girls in the sober community. It's like, I would never give myself permission to drink after a slip up. It's not now you have permission to drink. It's, it's my biggest learning is boredom. It can be my biggest trigger. Mm. And to just, I have to make sure my life is still exciting. Like I've had, and the thing that has been the hardest with that last slip up that I said with the, the bourbon, that was because like I said, life throws you crap and then you just, you've got to be able to deal with that. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's all good when everything's going well, I'm doing all the things I'm great. I'm feeling motivated. But the problem is when life throws you a curveball and that was, you know, last year with fertility stuff that threw a curveball Mm -hmm. and something I felt out of control. And so I tried to get relief from that, but it just made it worse. But this time, you know, I'm going through IVF and it's been really challenging. But oh my god, what I, a journey! Yeah, how are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling. I'm feeling positive. I'm feeling good. Yeah, um, good. But it's writing it out. It's just writing yeah. out those uncomfortable feelings and making sure you're doing things. Like I booked a trip to Melbourne to hang with my friends this weekend. Going to a party that you know I know that I'll be um, happy to be sober at. But it's doing, want to dress up, doing exciting things, going out for dinner, like trying to keep my life exciting so I don't get bored and I'm sitting at home wanting to get loose. I totally hear you. And what, like what I'm hearing, Mel, is it's know thyself, right? Like our, our biggest mission on the planet really is to figure ourselves out because when we can figure ourselves out, we can do the stuff that we need so that we don't end up. So for you, boredom's a trigger. For me, I love sitting at home with nothing to do because it rarely happens. Not that my life is super exciting. It's just really busy because I'm a mom with a full-time job and a podcast and a book coming out and there's loads going on. And I love all of those things, but I also can put myself at the bottom of the self-care list. But once I realize that about myself, I'm like, oh, because a night out with the girls on the champagnes used to be my self-care. 
you know, and that doesn't work in sobriety. Like that's not an option for me. So it's really cool that you have figured that out about yourself and that you've learned from that trigger, that last slip up experience. This is the thing that's going to set me off. It's when I'm, when I'm feeling a little bit bored and maybe I'm, and maybe it's a control thing. I don't know. Like sometimes, especially with God, the IVF journey is such a huge one. I've had friends go through it. It's like such a huge, they say, oh, you know, just relax and don't get stressed. Try not to think about it. It's like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm putting a needle in my freaking abdomen twice a night and you're telling me not to think about it. Like it's so all consuming and and the highs and the lows with that is all on. But if you if you, and you can't control that, right? So then we reach to the thing we can control, which used to be alcohol. That's the thing that gives you, that steadies the boat temporarily. Cause it's like, I have got this cause I am in control of the drinking thing, right? Until you're not in control of it. So I fully get it. And I think it's great that you know that about yourself now, because that is going to stay you on this path. And it's also really cool that you were honest and transparent with your sober community and with me about having a couple of slip-ups because they happen and I don't want people to go straight to shame if they have a slip-up. I want people to like swing the pendulum back and figure it out for themselves and figure out what is the thing that made me slip up? You know, what is the thing that I either need to control or let go of or understand about myself to keep me on this sober path. So I, I'm just, it's, I don't want to say I'm really stoked that you had a slip up, but I'm really glad that you have found a lesson in it because that is going to be really helpful. Well, for you predominantly, but also for other people, definitely. Yeah. And I think now I've set myself up, you know, with IVF and a lot of people have been through it. It's, it's hard. And it's so hard. The man. most thing that you the thing you want to do when something doesn't work is get wasted like because yeah. you forget why you're sober I forgot why I was sober I thought I you know I'm trying to do all the healthy stuff for having a baby but then it doesn't happen and then you're like why why the fuck am I doing this this doesn't mm. I'm doing all the good stuff and it's not happening but that's realistic not the reason why I'm sober it's you know so much more than that it's not just about a baby but it is it, it I had to remind myself of that and I'm so glad that I'm in a better headspace now because you know, I'm paying top dollar here to do IVF. So I would hate when things aren't working out the way I want it then to be going on a bender. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But in, but you're a human, right? And so we have these really big emotions and we have these really big situations that come up in our lives that we are not in control of. And that is, that's one of the hardest things. That I think a really common thread with the conversations I have is this sense of like, I'm not in control and I don't like that. <laughs> we like being in control. Um, and that's just not how life is sometimes. So, you know, if you can learn to be, and I know it would be so hard with the whole IVF thing, but just learn to be fluid and, you know, sit in it and do do all of the deep breathing and the meditations and, you know, and and all of your iron and your folic acid and yeah, all the folic acid. <laughs> you know, but do that and be really present with it. And, you know, like I certainly had my fingers crossed that, that that will come out a treat for you guys for sure. Thank you. Thank you. It's huge, babe. So I, I just, 
oh, I just, I love, I really love your story, Mel. I really do. And it's because it's, and no one story is perfect, but I just love like the ebbs and the flows that you've been through and your willingness to be honest about that. I think that that's such a beautiful quality to be able to. I think sometimes we want to stuff down the bad parts of our story or the stuff in our story that doesn't make us look the best, you know, and I, and you are not that at all. You are like, I'm here. This is my story. Um, and if it can help someone, it's worthy of sharing. So thank you so much for your honesty today. Oh, no problems at all. It, it, it can be, you know, daunting to, I work in a rehab facility and uh, work with my clients as well. And it's hard to, you know, as a therapist, it's hard to disclose that I have had a slip up, but at the same time, I'm human. I'm not perfect. Human. And it can happen. A lot of people do it. I'm not saying to go out and have a slip up, but if you do, like you said, have a plan in place so you're not stuck in that shame because that will lead you to keep going. You know, yeah. we hate ourselves when that when it happens, but if we can get out of that and use that mo and instead of putting our energy into shame and use that energy to get back on the sober path, it's gonna be easier to get back on. 100%. And again, like good job on you, you know, retraining and getting yourself um, a counselling qualification so that you can help other people in this space. That must be really rewarding for you. Yeah, it's good. But it also helps me stay sober because I'm living and breathing it every day, right? It's like I'm talking about sobriety every day. Yeah. Probably like when you're doing the podcast, you're talking about it all the time. This is I why am. I tell people when you become sober you need to become obsessed with it because you know like you're talking about all those neural pathways when you're talking about it and living and breathing every day you're brainwashing your brain back to realizing that you don't need alcohol when we've been brainwashed to believe that we do need alcohol it's one of my my bigger accountability factors you know is like and it's not because I need to prove my sobriety to anybody at all it's because I love it so much and I don't want to I don't want to risk it for anything. And so that's why I created this podcast to, so people can land here with thoughts of sober curiosity and understand it's so possible. It's so doable. Your best self is your sober self. And still to this day, I have not interviewed anybody on this podcast who has told me that sobriety was not the best decision. Ever. It's not just like, oh, yeah, it was a good choice. Like, you know, those low-waisted jeans in 1991. Like it's it's the best choice that people make is the choice for their sober self and their future self. And so, and, and you um, add you to the list of people that can attest to that. Yeah, it definitely is the best thing I've ever done. My life has changed so much. It would not have happened if I hadn't become sober. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.